0: We're smack dab in the middle of the series we're doing as we head for Christmas. Um, And we would agree as we think about the whole Christmas story that most of us have a code of conduct that we live by, a way we see the world and we think we should live in the world. In fact, we might say this, that we have a set, of universal oughts. To which we hold. You know this. It's like I ought to give up my seat when an older person gets on the bus or the train, if you've ever been in that situation. I ought to apologize to my wife when I say something mean or I don't do what I'm supposed to do. And there's some oughts I should not do also. I just shouldn't go to those places or think those things. And so we just have those. And for a lot of us, most of us, um, we can't just turn it off, which indicates it might be an external set of standards that we ought to do and ought not to do. And these oughts, they inform our conscience, sometimes they condemn our actions, and sometimes they encourage us to do the right thing. And that's for us personally. Now here's what's interesting, that we also had a set of universal oughts to which we hold others accountable to. And this is true whether you believe or not. For some of you, you might say, listen, I don't really believe in moral standards, but I expect you to hold on to them. I really don't want to have standards in my life, but I certainly want my neighbors to have standards that they live by. And we all move in those directions. This is why, if you've ever been around this, liars don't like to be lied to. Someone might say, listen, I grew up lying. It's how I survived. It's just what I know, and so I'm a liar but I don't like to be lied to. Isn't that an interesting thing? And thieves don't like to be stolen from. I might steal your TV, but if you steal from me, I'm going to call the police immediately. That's why cheaters don't like to be cheated on. It's just weird thing that I might do something that's against a moral standard, but I'm okay with me doing it. I just certainly don't want you to do it. I want to get off the hook. I want you to face punishment. It's this weird thing. And for you, you may say, well, I get that because I'm not a guilt person. I don't like guilt, I don't like to live in guilt, and I don't want guilt in my life. And that may be fair, and you may feel that way, but isn't it true that you probably feel other people are guilty about things? In fact, we would say this, that people who don't do guilt are adamant regarding the guilt of other people. Because when you look in the world, there's just things that are wrong. And there's things that people are doing wrong, and if it's none of my responsibility, it has to be everyone else's. And I can opt out out of convenience for feeling guilty, but I'm not going to let you opt out. It is just our human nature. And here's where the hypocrisy comes into play for all of us, is that we can't stop holding others accountable to an external standard we sometimes ignore Ourselves Again, I can mute my conscience, but I'm not going to mute yours. It's just the way we work. And it kind of condemns us all. Now, I know that's a little bit of a negative way to start the message this morning, but it also, when we think about the birth and the announcement of Jesus coming to this earth, it reminds us why it was such good news huh, of great joy for all people. Because if that's true, where we're all kind of in the middle of breaking our own rules and our own standards and certainly God's standards, when Jesus showed up on the planet, it was good news of great joy for everybody. And that idea of it was good for everybody is such an interesting thing because often when one person gets good news, it means it's bad news for someone else. Like if I get the promotion, it probably means you're not getting the promotion. If you win the lottery, it means I'm probably not going to win the lottery. But this was good news for everybody. And this is what we said last week. Don't we want good news to be true? Even if you're not sure you believe, don't you hope it's true? And the question we're going to ask again today is, why do we resist good news? And I think for some of us, the reason we resist Jesus and who he is and what he taught and what he did is because we've missed the original version of the story that you grew up and I grew up with a version of the story that was not good news. It just felt like condemnation. It just felt like we couldn't get it right. But the people that brought us the story of Jesus said, this is good news of great joy for all people, including you. This news was so good that it survived Rome, even though Rome wanted to stamp it out. This news was so good, it it survived Jewish temple worship who did not want this new good news to be around. Luke, who documents the story of Jesus and brings us the Christmas story and all of its incredible focus, he, he said this, he said, the law, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Now, the law and the prophets was, you know, for us is the Old Testament, but it was the ancient Hebrew scriptures, and it was good news for some people. But if you are not a Jewish people, you may have felt in that moment, in those times, that it was not good for you because you were on the outside looking in. But John would say, until John, which means John who introduced Jesus to the planet. And he says, since that time that Jesus showed up, the good news, there it is, of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. Have you ever forced your way into something good? Have you ever forced your way into like a really good concert or a really good free meal or just something that's so good you couldn't help but push in? Yeah, that's what, that's what Luke's trying to say. People force their way into it. It's why whenever Jesus showed up in a place, the crowd showed up too because they wanted to be around what he was doing even though they didn't understand all of it. Now this is where there's a tension for us. And the tension is, if faith in Christianity does not feel good to you, it may be because you have been taught the wrong version. And one of the reasons that this is such good news is that when Jesus came to the planet, he leveled the playing field between people that thought they were good and people that knew they were not good, and everything in between. And so today, we just want to take a few minutes, and we want to spotlight... The fact that we, you and me and everyone on the planet, aren't so good. And when Jesus showed up, this disturbed people because this was his message. We're all, you all are not so good. And the people that thought they were good, they walked around with their chests puffed out, like I'm religious and I know the scriptures and I'm better than everybody else. This deeply disturbed them. But the people that already knew they were not good people, because their own self-realization, or someone else had told them to told them they were not good, or Hall of society said, "Hey, that dude is not good." It brought them hope. And this is the challenge for us, as most of us. We think we're good people, until we're around Jesus, who is the perfect person, and he levels the playing field for the whole world. Now, about two and a half years ago, I was hanging out with Andy Stanley, um, a friend of our church. Um, you may have heard Andy speak over the years, and Andy told this story of when, when he attended Billy Graham's funeral, and I was so like, overwhelmed by this story. I've been waiting to share it with you for a couple years, and I finally had an opportunity to, and I wanted you to hear this story from Andy about Billy Graham's funeral, where
1: the playing field was level for everybody. So check this out. Now in uh, February of uh, 2018, I saw a great example, to me a great example of, of what this must have looked like maybe from God's perspective in a little microcosm. Um, in March, uh, March the 2nd, excuse me, February 21st, uh, Billy Graham passed away and on March the 2nd, um, his funeral was scheduled in Charlotte, North Carolina. And when I heard that Billy Graham had passed away, I called my dad because I heard they were only gonna invite 1,000 people to the memorial service and everybody who got invited could bring one person so there there's only room for 2,000 people. And I called my dad, I said, I know you're gonna get invited, can I go with you? Because I would love to be a part of Billy Graham's memorial service. And then lo and behold, I got an invitation, which means I'm one of the most, impo- 1,000 most important, <laughs> just kidding. So- I think people just kept, they couldn't go and they got down to me. But anyway, so I got invited, I know, to Billy Graham's funeral. And so Sandra and I went and my dad went and he, t- he took a friend. And, he, and, and it was so amazing. This was, a, okay, this, they're dignitaries. There are famous journalists. Everywhere you look, there are people, you either know who they, you knew who they were or they're like, okay, I've seen them on television. I know that's somebody important. People from all over the world, heads of state. I mean, it was incredible. A thousand people invited. They could all bring one person. And the best part of this was these were mostly all people who were like big shots somewhere, who are used to traveling in motorcades, who were used to showing up and tricked out escalades with their people. You know, their people would get out and we got sunglasses, we got people, we got security. And the beauty of this day was you couldn't bring your people. You could bring one people, that's it. And we, we showed up at a distribution center, okay, this, that wasn't even, that was like 20 minutes away from where the ceremony is gonna be, and everybody has to go into this kind of warehouse area, and we had to stand around for about an hour and 15 minutes while we waited for buses to come pick us up. It was beautiful. So you have all these important people, and they can't be important because they're surrounded by other important people, and suddenly nobody's important. And then they put us in lines, you had to wait in line, and we all got herded onto these buses. Everybody had to go to the back of the bus, fill up every single seat from the back to the front. These people haven't ridden on a bus since they were in elementary school, okay? (laughs) Now they're all sitting in these buses and they're in, and then, We drive for about 20 minutes, we get out, and it's freezing cold. This is March 2nd, Charlotte, North Carolina. It's beautiful, sunny day, freezing cold, and the service is in a tent without any sides. So you could get under the tent and you're super freezing, or you can stand out in the sun where you're just freezing. So we're miserable for an hour and 15 minutes before this thing started, and I'm telling you, I was enjoying this part so much as I looked at all these famous people, they couldn't be famous because there weren't any people for them to be famous for because everywhere they looked there were people more famous than them and more important than them and we all just kind of milled around waiting for the ceremony to start. Nobody, nobody was anybody special that day. I mean, you may be a big shot in some circle that you work in and they may be a big shot on some television station, but hey. You're not Billy Graham, okay? So everything just leveled the playing field. And and again, you know, you may have a big ministry, but hey, this is amazing, and I wanted to show you a picture, but we didn't get permission in time. In 1973, I mean, most of you weren't around. 1973, talk about big church, he preached in Seoul, South Korea, and 1.1 million people attended. Let me tell you how big my church is. Let Let me tell you about this. Billy Graham showed up to preach. I don't mean they watched on television. You should see this picture, you should Google it. Over a million people showed up, okay? So you may be a big deal, but your funeral isn't gonna be on Fox News and CNN and C-SPAN, okay? You may be a big deal, but your body is not gonna lie in the U.S. Capitol for people to line up all around the blocks to come see your body, okay? You know, some people were better known than others. You know, some people were more famous than others. Some people had more followers than others. But on that day, we all fell short of the glory of Billy Graham, and it was amazing. But perhaps the most amazing part of that part of it, that dynamic, was you could tell who was uncomfortable. They didn't like it. They were used to being special. And they weren't special, leveled the playing field.
0: Isn't that a great story? Um Andy couldn't show you the picture of the crowd that attended that 1.1 million people, but I thought I would show it to you because I thought it was spectacular. That's what it looks like to preach to 1.1 million people. Now, here's the other thing. When I got to hear that story from Andy in person, we were having dinner um, with a bunch of lead pastors and he talked about who was in that funeral um, under that funeral tent and how uncomfortable they were, how uncomfortable they were and there were people you'd recognize from TV and he named who was most uncomfortable I can't tell you who it was but it was so much fun to hear because anytime the playing field gets leveled man it puts everybody in a position that they need God And they need each other and they need help in our story. And when you open up the pages of scripture and see Jesus interacting with people, he did that very thing for everyone and then gave them hope. And one of the people he did that for was Peter. Peter who we talk about all the time. Now here's what we know about Peter. Peter was a good man, he was a family man, he was a businessman, he had a fishing business with his family and he probably had a good reputation, maybe even a better reputation than most. But Peter's friend Luke gives us insight how Peter was changed by being in the presence of Jesus. Look at what Luke says about Peter's life. He says, One day Jesus was standing by the lake at Gennesaret, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now you just got to pause for a second, because when it says they were listening to the word of God, they weren't listening to Jesus read the Bible because the Bible didn't exist yet. And he wasn't reading the law and the prophets, he was just sharing his thoughts and he was preaching and teaching. And after the resurrection, Luke writes down, hey, when we heard Jesus speak, it was like hearing the word of God. It is amazing. I wish we could spend a little bit more time on that. But he goes on, he said, he saw... At the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. So what would happen in those days when the fishermen fished, they would go out at night when the water would cool down and the fish would come to the surface and they could catch them in their nets. And they'd fish all night, come in at morning, they would unroll their fish, they'd clean their nets out, get the beer cans out, clean them, roll them back up, put them away, and the fishermen would sleep for a little while and get ready to do the exact same thing um, in the next evening. And he goes on, he says, he, talking about Jesus, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. In other words, Jesus said, hey, let me go out in the boat and let's pull out a little bit because it'll create a better auditorium outside so everybody can hear me and everybody can see me. And then so Jesus preaches, the word of God is explained, and then it's over. And then Jesus looks at Peter. This is so interesting. You can read this at home today. He says, hey, Peter, will you take me fishing? To which Peter was probably a little like, what do you mean take you fishing? Yeah, take me fishing. Peter's got to be like, we were out all night, we caught a few fish, but maybe, maybe having you with us, Jesus, because we know you're a rabbi and you're a holy man, we'll catch some more fish. And so Peter rose Jesus out, and they dropped their nets, over the side of the boat. And this is what Luke tells us, that they began to catch fish like you would not believe. So much fish that it began to sink the boat and something overwhelming happens in this moment and it's not supposed to. It's almost like it's a miracle happening in Peter's midst. And somewhere, as they are pulling this fish over, load after load, it dawns on Peter that I am in the middle of something special. But more importantly than that, I am with someone special. I am with someone that is other than myself, something that was, is different and on a whole different level than me. And in that moment, Peter decides, I'm not okay with who I am. Even though Peter is a really good man, he decides in the midst of whatever Jesus is and what he is doing, I am not a very good man. This is what Luke tells us. When Simon Peter saw this, in this moment, everything else fades away. The family business, His brothers and sisters, the worries of the world, how good of a person he is, and it dawns on him that my own personal world is out of balance, and Peter is not okay with Peter. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, I mean, he literally bowed down before Jesus. He says to him, go away from me, Lord. And we'd ask the question, why would you say that, Peter? Why would you tell Jesus to leave in the midst of this incredible catch? Something special is going on. And Peter would say, I'll tell you why I told him that, cuz I'm a sinful man. But Peter, Peter Peter, you didn't do anything wrong. In fact, you did something really kind. You took Jesus fishing when you when he asked you to take him fishing, to which Peter might say, I didn't say I sinned. Peter would say, I am A sinful man. I didn't do anything wrong in that moment. It just dawned on me in the presence of Jesus that I am a sinful man. In other words, he was saying, I need you to go away so I can feel okay about myself. You see, Jesus, I was fine until you showed up because I was living in this illusion that I did just enough ought to's to keep me out of trouble in my own conscience. But as I sat there in the boat that day, it dawned on me, I am in the presence of something so special, something so pure, something so lovely that I am a sinful man. And I don't deserve to be around you. I don't deserve to be near you. I don't deserve any of your love or your kindness. And Jesus, he He looks at Peter, and he smiles. This is so amazing. And Luke records this. He smiles, and he looks at Peter. He says, Peter, in light of all that, don't don't be afraid. Jesus could have said, you know what, Peter, what you said is true. You've been a sinful man for a long time. And you need to know this. Your greatest sin is not behind you. It's ahead of you. Your greatest sin will be in the near future when you deny knowing me and you deny everything you know about me, Peter, you are going to see things in the next months and years that mortal men just dream about seeing God do, and you're going to see it up close and personal, and you're going to deny it all the moment you become afraid, and you're even going to deny this moment. Peter, you are a sinful man. But I came because I already know that and I've come to level the playing field. I've come to take all the power and all the prestige and all I come from a good family and I've done good stuff or I come from a bad family and I've come and they've done bad stuff. I came to level that because everybody's in the same field when it comes to being sinful. And that, my friends, is why the birth and the announcement of Jesus 2,000 years ago was good news Because it announced a new kingdom. And even maybe more important than that, it announced a new kind of king. And Peter, I'm inviting you to come. In fact, Jesus says next, Peter, I'm going. You need to know that. I'm not staying around here in the fishing boats. That's not what I've been called to do in this world. I'm going, but I'm taking you with me, Peter. With all your sin and all your mess and all the fact you don't do all the oughts right in your life, I'm asking you to come and we're going to introduce this new kind of kingdom to the entire world, Peter. And by the way, I'm going to invite people like Matthew, the tax collector, and it's going to drive you nuts because you're still going to want to compare your sin to other people's sin, but I've come to level the playing field, Luke tells us. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything and they followed him and they left their mark on the world. In fact, it changed the world. But first, it changed Peter. It's arguable to say the greatest change in Peter's life when he was sitting in this boat, recognizing who Jesus was, and then recognizing who he really was. In the presence of Jesus, I'm a sinner. And then Jesus, with a big smile on his face, says, Follow. Let me ask you this, my friends. As you think through this, as you think about the gospel, whatever version of the gospel you grew up on, what's a better deal than that? What's a better deal to come completely clean with all your disaster and all your sin and all your wickedness and then have the Savior of the world who is perfect say, yeah, yeah, I know. Now follow me and go where I go. You see, what makes the good news so good is we are not... So good. Yet God shows up in the middle of this. We fall short of our own expectations. We fall short of the world's expectations, and we certainly fall short of God's expectations. But Jesus shows up. He says, Let's not do any more excuses. Let's make no more promises. Let's just acknowledge who we are and then lean into who I am. There's not mistakes and there's not accidents. I mean, come on, you can't just make everything a mistake, right? A mistake is when you dial the wrong phone number. You push the wrong button on the calculator. But for some of us, we have made the same mistakes over and over and over again. For some of us, we planned out our mistakes in the future. Like, I'm going to go on spring break or I'm going to go on a business trip and I'm going to plan on doing that. That's not an accident. That's not a mistake. That is a sin. And it's across our lives from the beginning to the end. And Jesus comes along and says, let's let's not make any more excuses. Let's not call it a mistake or an accident. Let's just call it for what it is. We're sinners, but I've come to rescue you. It is why when the Apostle Paul shows up on the pages of history, he begins by telling everybody, listen, I'm like the best, godliest person on the planet. I understand the law. I understand the scriptures, and I live them out better than anybody else. When I show up to the temple, everybody inside the temple just goes, man, I'm glad Paul's here. Because the best of the best has walked through the door. That's how he viewed himself. And then he ran into the resurrected Jesus. And the, the title he adopted for his life after he was in the presence of Jesus was, I'm the chief of all sinners. Well, why, Paul? Because I stared into what good really is, what holy really is. It is probably why when Paul writes a little letter to a place in Rome, he writes, for all have sinned, including me. And fall short, level the playing field of the glory of God. Do you you know why Peter fell on his knees when he realized who Jesus was? Do you know why Paul fell on his knees? Because just a little of the glory of Jesus slipped out in who he was. A little of the glory just showed up and they just didn't know what to do, but fall on their knees and say, get away from me. I, I don't know what it is to be in this kind of righteousness And that's when Jesus would look at them and go, yeah, I know, follow me. You're invited to it with all that you are. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. This is such a beautiful word, and all justified is means it's to be made right. Not to promise next time, not to try and make up, is to be made right in that moment. And you know this, if you break something, if you break someone's window, you can promise never to break their window again, but you can't put the pieces of glass back together. You can't make it right. But Jesus said, I have come to make you right by giving my life on the cross. Are justified freely, which means it's free. You don't work for it. By his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is why the birth of Jesus was good news and joy for all people, because There was something we had in common, each one of us. And what all of us have in common, whether you really want to grasp this or not, is we all fall short of your standards, of the world's standards, but certainly and ultimately God's standards. But we have been invited to embrace the same solution now one of the reasons i wanted to show you andy's story about billy graham is a story that was told at billy's funeral by one of his children and i wanted you to hear this we're going to turn back to andy's story and hopefully it resonates in your heart check it out
1: my favorite moment at the billy graham memorial service was when his daughter ruth spoke his uh, billy and ruth had five kids their middle child was ruth the daughter and all the kids spoke and it was wonderful and great and then ruth gets up and Ruth's kind of the hippie of the five graham kids which is kind of a strange thing to say and if i ever meet her i'll apologize but you sort of got that sense and here's what she said i want to read you her story this is you can find this it's easy it's all over the internet she said i have learned this week as never before that everybody has a billy graham story And I have my own Billy Graham story, so I'm going to tell you that one. After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce and I was devastated. I floundered, I did wrong, the rug was pulled out from underneath me. My family thought it would be a good idea if I moved far away and get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live near near my older sister and her family and near a really good church. And the pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought, you know, they're almost grown, and they don't know. They couldn't tell me what to do. I mean, I know what's best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle, my father called me from Tokyo, and they said, honey, why don't you slow this down? Let us wait to get to know this man but they had never been single and they'd never been a single parent and they'd never been divorced. What what did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve and within 24 hours, I knew I had made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled because I was afraid of him. And now what was I gonna do? I wanted to talk to my father and I wanted to talk to my mother. It was a two-day drive to their home and questions swirled in my mind. What was I gonna say to my daddy? What was I gonna say to my mother? What was I gonna say to my children? I had been such a failure. And what were they going to say to me? We're tired fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. Then she said this, let me tell you, you women will understand, you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. (laughs) She continued, many of you know we live on the side of a mountain and I was, I wound, as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded that last bend in my father's driveway and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he simply said, welcome home. No shame, no blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love and you know my father was not God but he showed me what God was like that day when we come to God with our sin our brokenness and our failure our pain and our hurt God says welcome home and then she said this and that invitation is open to all of you No blame. No condemnation. Just unconditional love. What if God
0: is really like that? Doesn't it sound a little bit like the conversation between Peter and Jesus in that boat? I am a sinful man, Jesus. There is no hope for me. My only option is to get away from you. And in that moment for Peter, just like Billy Graham's daughter, there's no blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love, and follow me. What if that was the invitation for you and I every day of our lives? Do you know when a cure is found for a really bad disease? Do you know who's most ecstatic about it? who's like fall on the floor rejoicing when a cure to a terrible disease is found. The person that is smack dab in in an incurable disease. It is why when people realize that I'm a sinful person, but Jesus came for people like me, that we find the good news. And for you today, and for me, and for all of us, maybe today is simply your welcome home. Maybe it's the days where you say, you know what, I'm coming to a God that loves me. And your Heavenly Father would say, welcome home. And in just a second, I want to invite you to literally put a stake in the ground and say, today is the day that I told Jesus I'm coming home. In just a second, I'm going to show you a prayer. I'm going to invite you to say a prayer that's not a special prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's just a way to express a decision that you are invited to make today that I'm coming back to my Heavenly Father with all my mess, with all my sin, and I'm being welcomed into His arms and His love. Here's the prayer. It simply goes like this. Heavenly Father, I have fallen short which when we're really honest with ourselves, that's exactly what we all do. I am more than a mistaker, because it's always more than just a mistake. I am a sinner who needs a Savior, and I'm telling you, this is where some of us have a really hard time, but this is where we find freedom. I place my faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. I'm going to invite everybody that's listening to this or watching this online to say this prayer with me today. And for some of you, you said something like this when you were in Sunday school or vacation Bible school. For some of you, it was at a camp when you were a teenager, but it's faded somehow or you lost a grasp on the forgiveness that your heavenly Father offers you. For some of you, you live in this every day, but you just want to say, God, I want to make sure I'm holding on to this tight. But for some of you, you've never said this prayer. You've never come clean and confessed the sin that, you know, that dwells in you and that encompasses you. And Your heavenly father would just love to invite you to follow him. This is where Peter started. This was the catalyst for Peter becoming who God called him to do when he recognized I'm a sinful man and I'm going where Jesus goes. And I just want to invite you to do the same. So if you would join me in saying this out loud and let it resonate from your heart. You ready? Heavenly Father, I have fallen short. I am more than a mistaker. I am a sinner who needs a Savior. I place my faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. I'm just gonna let you say that from your heart one more time. Let me pray for you, Heavenly Father for all of us that just confessed this and cried out to you for help. I pray that we would feel your response of looking at us and saying you are forgiven, you are set free, now follow me. And for the people that have just said this prayer for the very first time, I pray that they would feel an actual change going on in their very soul and their very spirit as they find new life in you. And they can be called children of God. Thank you for this invitation. Thank you for the people that aren't even ready to respond in this way, that this invitation will always be there for them because of your immense love. And thank you for coming to this planet to save us from what we most desperately needed saving from, our sins and ourselves. We love you, Jesus, and we feel your love today. In your name I pray, amen. My friends, if you prayed this prayer and this was your very first time, I hope you can hang on to it and continue to join us along the journey of following Jesus. Have a great day. We'll see you right back here next Sunday as we wrap up the series. God bless you.